would bless us this morning, I want to speak to you about baptism. And if you have experienced baptism, I hope you can hearken back to your experience, and I pray that this will be a blessing for you. If you have not, I pray that you'll consider some of what we look into this morning. The scripture that we look at tells us uh, a little bit about the purpose of baptism, what it represents, and what baptism does not represent. Sister Lowry said this morning that she was 19 years old when she was baptized, and she said, thinking back upon it, it's been over 60 years, and she said, this is how I would describe it. She said it was a happy time. And if you've experienced baptism, truly you can hearken back to your experience and remember what a happy time that it was. 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll look at a few verses right here. And I pray the Lord will bless us as we look into his word. The like figure. Now what's it talking about right there? He says, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. So it sounds like that there is a saving effect in baptism. What is the like figure that he's referring to right here? We'll look at that here in just a minute. We'll back up to verse 20 and we'll see what the like figure figure is that he's comparing it to. He says, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. And then he tells us if I'm sure your Bible probably has it as well in parentheses here. He says, not, he says what baptism is not. He says, baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. What does that mean? Baptism is not paying the price for our sins. That's not what baptism is. And he tells us right here. Baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. But baptism is this. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience. Now the Lord is the one that gives us the conscience. And the Lord is the one that stirs up our conscience. He says that baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. But it is the answer to something. It is the answer of a conscience that's been stirred up by God. God is the one that gives us the conscience and God is the one that stirs up the conscience. Baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it is the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven, is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Basically, all things are subject unto Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, we see that Christ has preeminence over all things. 
And right here, he's uh, emphasizing that a little bit. So what is the like figure that he's talking about right here? Of all the things that the that 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 Peter would compare baptism to, he begins to compare it to of all things Noah and the ark. Now, how many young folks here know the story of Noah and the ark? Anybody here? Sister Peggy, young folks, I said. <laughs> How many young folks? Uh, we've got, got a few that have heard the story. John's heard the story of Noah and the Ark. Well, what in the world could Noah and the Ark be compared to about baptism? What is there about Noah and the Ark that we might glean from that would have anything to do with baptism? If the Lord would bless us, we'll look at a few examples of Noah and the ark and see how it relates to baptism. The Lord is the one that inspired the word to be written. And so he knew full well when he picked an example to be used, what the right example was. So in order to find out a little bit about Noah and the ark, we need to go all the way back to Genesis Chapter 6. So if baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, then what is it that ties us in to Noah and the ark? If you, if you read the verse right above it, it says, uh, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was Preparing, wherein a few souls, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. So let's go back and look at Noah and the ark and see if there's any similarities between Noah and the ark and the ordinance of baptism. In Genesis chapter 6, why was it? Can anybody think of what was the reason that God inspired Noah to build the ark? Why did he do it? I mean, what was the purpose of it? What was the reason? God saw the wickedness of man. And it says that the imagination of his heart was only evil continually. It's a pretty good description of man, is it not? That our imaginations, anybody here have an imagination? It usually, I don't know about you, but oftentimes my imagination goes in the wrong direction. Wouldn't it be great if our imagination went in the right direction all the time? Well, God says that he looked upon the earth and he said that men became more and more wicked. And it says the imagination of his heart was only evil continually. And it says God saw the wickedness of man. And it says in verse 6 that God saw the wickedness of man and that it was great upon the earth. 
The imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And it says, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. That's Genesis chapter six, verse six. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created upon the face of the earth. He says, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. So what was the purpose of God inspiring Noah to build the ark? It says that in the building of the ark, there were a few souls that were saved. It says that there were eight, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. So there were eight that God through his sovereignty, chose to spare when he built the ark. Now, how was it that God destroyed the earth the first time? He did it by a flood. He did it by an extensive rain that exceeded 40 days that God empowered rain to come upon the earth. Look at what it says right here. God repented that he had made man. God was grieved that he saw the condition that was around. Can you imagine what God must think today? You think God is pleased with everything that he sees? I certainly don't believe that God's pleased with all that he sees. But I tell you one thing that I'm very thankful for is that even though that God is not pleased I know that God is not controlled by the things that are going on around us. That the God that we believe in, the God that we worship is in control. He was in control in the days of Noah and God is in control today as well. That's not saying that I'm an absoluter. If you conclude that, you've gone to uh, uh, way far off the course that I'm thinking. But the God that I worship is in charge and he's in control and he has all power. So God desired to destroy the earth and the wickedness that was in the earth. And God put in the heart of Noah to build an ark and gave him the dimensions, told him the purpose, gave him all there was about building the ark. And Noah, who God had put it upon his heart to do it, was convicted by God to do it. Now, the first thing that we see right here, how that baptism and the ark and Noah and the flood have some measure of resemblance is right here in verse eight. It says, but Noah, I want to tell you something. The reason that God designed baptism, it wasn't necessarily for God that he designed baptism, but he designed it for you. The reason that God designed the ark to be built were for those eight folks that God was choosing to spare. And so it tells us right here in verse eight, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
That's the very first way that you can see a resemblance of the building of the ark, the preparing of the ark. God prepared the ark to bless Noah and his family and the living, creeping things to have a place in, 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 in of safety and protection. And it just simply says, it's just simply inserted here, right here in the middle of chapter 6. He just sort of plugs it in and he says, oh, by the way, right here, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You say, how in the world does that compare with my baptism? When you make the commitment that you are following in gospel baptism, one of the greatest testimonies that you're proclaiming is that you can say, I found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I believe that God spared me and I'm a testimony of that because of what he's put in my heart. And I am a uh, I'm an example and a witness of the grace of almighty God. And rather than it say, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, you could almost put it right here. And Luke found grace in the eyes of the Lord or Bray found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The reason that that it resembles gospel baptism is that the ark and the preparing of the ark was a deliverance. And baptism, even though it does not pay the price for your sins, it is a commitment that you're making before God and others that you are testifying that you found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The second thing that uh, I borrowed this from uh, Brother Gill if you want to read uh, Brother John Gill, he had some really good examples and uh, always encourage you to, to read uh, Brother Gill. I don't agree with everything that he says, but I sure agree with a lot of it. And he might be right, and I might be wrong. But on this one thing, I believe he's right. It says, the ark and the preparation of the ark was instructed by God. It wasn't man's design. It wasn't man's creation. It was God that designed the ark and put it in the mind of Noah to build the ark. Baptism is not a design of man. In fact, in in Matthew, uh, the last chapter of Matthew, chapter 28, it says that... that, uh, Jesus Christ is delivering the message right here. And he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I remember Elder Compton saying when he would read that, he says, if all power is given unto Christ, how much power does that actually mean that we have? And then he gives the charge right here. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And he says, teaching them whatsoever all things that I've commanded unto you. And he says, and I will be with you unto uh, always, even unto the end of the wor- end of the world, he basically says right here that the that the prescription for gospel ministers is to teach, baptize, and teach again. That's the role. That's the purpose. So baptism is not the invention of men. But baptism was 
ordained by God. It's an ordinance in the gospel church, and it's not by man's invention. When Noah was building the ark, here's another similarity. When Noah was building the ark, folks didn't come up and give him a high five. Say, boy, you're doing a good job there, Noah. No. They said, we've never seen anything like that. We've never had a reason for it. What do you mean it's going to rain and flood the earth? Noah was mocked, made fun of as he was making this preparation. And you can also see a similarity in that in baptism. The scribes and the Pharisees made light of it. And if you talk to enough folks in the day in which we live, you'll find that there's folks that even would make light of it today. Another way that there's a similarity. The next one that I believe is very symbolic of baptism. So when they were building the ark and they were securing the ark, they were preparing the ark for a great flood. The ark was going to be completely immersed in that water. Wasn't just a little shower that was coming along was going to affect the ark. The ark was going to be completely submerged in the water. What is that symbolic of? Baptism symbols Jesus Christ. It's symbolic of Jesus Christ. And when we experience baptism, I want the young folks to really take heed to this. That when we experience baptism, when we go through a baptismal service, the first thing that we do is we lay the individual down into the water. Now, the purpose is to immerse the individual into the water. What is that symbolic of? It's symbolic of the death of Christ. That we are buried with Christ. And when we lay someone into that watery grave, it is symbolic of being buried with Christ. When folks were in the ark, they were buried and immersed with this great body of water that was around. Now, if there hadn't been that the water rescinded and they stayed there, that would have been the end of them. Now, one of the encouraging reports Every baptism that I've ever witnessed, the good news is that even though we're buried in that watery grave, we don't stay there too long. Jesus Christ arose after three days. We usually two or three seconds at the most. But the purpose is that we're we're it's symbolic of this watery grave. But there's real encouragement that there's something far better than this watery grave. 
got you thinking about this. Wonder why that the Lord, when he had Noah design the ark, that he put a little window in the ark. Don't you know that as that water, as the rains begin to subside, that Noah would go up there and look out that window, see what he could see, that he knew that there was some deliverance coming and there was something better. If you remember, he let the, the dove go out and the first time it came back and then the second time he came back with an olive branch and that was a sign to Noah that the waters had rescinded to the point that there would be some dry ground. Did you know that baptism is symbolic that Yes, we recognize that we're buried in that watery grave with Christ. But just as the tomb did not contain Christ, the greatest victory that we have is in Christ arising from the tomb after the three days. That, that when Mary and those that went to the grave they left with the story by saying, he's not here, but he is arisen. So when we are buried in baptism, we look forward. Certainly the candidate does. Certainly the one administering the baptism does. Certainly everybody that's around watching does. We look forward to coming up out of that watery grave because we know there's something that's far, far better. Noah was looking for something better. He was. So, baptism, coming up out of the watery grave is symbolic of a newness of life. And surely when Noah was looking for the dry ground, the, the earth being cleansed of the wickedness, that as Noah was looking for this new way, it was symbolic of a newness of life. And baptism is symbolic of a new walk. Now I have to tell you, and I'll confess this to you, I really thought in my mind that, that after I was baptized, I was 15 years old, and I thought that I probably won't have the same temptations and struggles with sin, and, and I just felt like that I just never was going to experience that again. And I, I was sorely disappointed. By the end of the day, I realized that, that I still had this Adam nature that I had to deal with. I am looking forward to the day that I'll be delivered completely from that. But here in this life, we're taught that we have this, this Adam nature, this natural man and this spiritual man. And it's described as a warfare that goes on within us. We learn by the grace of God, hopefully, to be able to overcome the natural man more and more here in this life. But it still plagues us as long as we live here in this life. It does. So Romans chapter 6 tells us that we have a new walk and a new way. 
In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into the death, but up from the dead by the, we're, that were raised up, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. He says, even so also that we should walk in a in newness of life. When you make the commitment to follow in gospel baptism, you're making a commitment before God and before your brothers and sisters in Christ that you have a desire that you're making a commitment before God that you want to walk in a newness of life. Not to say that you're not ever going to have struggle with sin again. Not going to say that Satan's not going to tempt you again. But that your course and your path is going to be to seek the Lord, to serve the Lord. And you're making that testimony and that witness before all those that are present as well. And he, he tells us in Hebrews that we're pilgrims and strangers here on this earth. So basically what it is, is that we're walking together in the same path as pilgrims and strangers, sharing our struggles, sharing our joys, sharing our difficulties, but laboring together in the Lord as we're on that journey along the way. He says, uh, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Christ, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. He says, for in that he died, he died once unto sin, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon also ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey the lust in it. Thereof, Neither yield your members as instruments as unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments as righteousness unto God. All of this is really, really good. And the last verse says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So some of the ways that baptism and Noah's Ark and the flood are compared is that, first of all, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We find grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we are making that testimony that we found grace in the eyes of the Lord when we seek gospel baptism. We see that the Ark of Noah was not designed by man. It was designed by God. The ordinance of baptism was also designed by God and not designed by man. We see that others made light and mocked what Noah was doing. And we see that that's still the case today. It was the case in the times of the Pharisees and the scribes. We see that the, the ark and the burial of the ark is symbolic of the death of Christ. But how that we can see a glimpse through the window that was made and we see a new way of life and a new hope and a newness of life and a new walk. We see that it represents a new way of life. So let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. We see some of the similarities of 
baptism and Noah and why it was compared to Noah and the ark. And then he says that baptism is not something. Now, I had a friend that, that I grew up with in West Texas, and he told me that when he, um, the group of folks that he was worshiping with, that when he made a decision to be baptized, that um, they called the pastor and that they went down at 2 o'clock in the morning and they baptized him. They baptized him because he thought and they thought that the baptism was required in order for him to be able to get to heaven. And if he died before the next Sunday or before the next day and he was not baptism, uh, baptized, then he very likely would not secure his home in heaven. Well, I'm glad to know that baptism, we're thankful to know what baptism does do, but it's also important to know what baptism does not do. Baptism does not pay the price for your sin. You can go over into Hebrews and you can look at the sacrifices that were made. And it said that all those sacrifices that were made, they didn't pay the price for our sins. But they pointed to the one supreme sacrifice that paid the price for our sins. The only thing that we have assurance and hope in that pays the price for our sins, it's not something that we do. It's not something that we choose. It's not something that we say. But the only thing that pays the price for our sins at all, it's not the blood of bulls and goats. It's not the sacrifices of our parents or our grandparents. It's not writing out a big check and mailing it to a particular organization. It's not doing a certain number of steps to follow. There's only one thing that pays the price for one sin or all of our sin. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. So baptism, we're taught, does not pay the price for our sin. So we don't do it to Make a payment on the tally of our sin. That's paid for. Not with silver and gold. Not with things of this world. But with the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ. When he represented us upon the cross of Calvary. He paid the price for our sin. And when he cried out to the father. And he said it with a great degree of satisfaction. He said, it is finished. That's one of the songs we sing. I love that old time song. It is finished. Hark the voice of love and mercy. It's a great, great song. Because it declares that Jesus Christ was completely victorious in paying the price for our sin and redeeming his people. And he cried out with victory, not in a measure of defeat, but in victory that it is finished. He paid the price for our sins. So baptism does not pay the price for our sin. Well, then why in the world 
is it that we even need to do it? Wonder why we need to do it. What is the purpose in doing it? Why would we, why would we go into a watery grave and come out soaking wet and, 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 and go through that, that method? What is the purpose of doing it? First of all, because the Lord Jesus Christ told us to do it. Not only, now I'll tell you, when I was growing up and my mother told me that I needed to do something, generally speaking, when my mother told me, it wasn't really an option. And really, there wasn't a a long timeline. If my mother told me to do something, usually the, the time frame that my mother told me to do it was pretty short. And how much more so if the Lord Jesus Christ tells us to do something, should we do it? Shouldn't that carry a whole lot more weight than even our natural mother, our natural father is concerned? Jesus Christ himself was the example of baptism and we are to follow in his example. Now, John said, he said, I, Jesus Christ came to him and he said, I'm not worthy to be baptized. And, and, and Jesus Christ said he was doing it to fulfill all righteousness. Let me, let me toss this in just a little bit. Baptism, first of all, is a personal experience between you and God. The time to do it is when God stirs your conscience to do it. Don't quench the spirit. Not just because Brother Stephen said that. If the Lord speaks to you, you follow in what the Lord is talking to you about. Now, you know yourself. If the Lord's speaking to you, I don't have to tell you. Your mother doesn't have to tell you. Your dad doesn't have to tell you. When the Lord's speaking to you, you know who's speaking to you. But I want to say something right here because I think this is worthy to note right here. Even though, even though baptism is a personal experience between you and God, which it is. It also has a profound effect on others around you. Brother and Sister Polk started attending here at Mount Carmel in their 70s. And I mean, they hit the ground running. Anybody that knew Brother and Sister Polk could testify to that. I mean, I'm surprised I didn't get amens out of that. But he hit the ground running. He really did in his 70s. And they'd been attending Mount Carmel for probably six months. And, and the telephone rang, and it was Sister Polk. And Sister Polk told me, she said, I've been considering gospel baptism. And she said, but... 
but I've been waiting on Jack to do it. Now, they were in their late 70s, almost 80 years old. And she said, I just don't know how much longer I can wait. And she was waiting on Jack to take the step and go forward in baptism. I said, Sister Polk, that's something that you and Brother Polk ought to pray about. I said, when the Lord stirs your heart, that's that's between you and the Lord. Now, I've known some situations that in the South that maybe a wife wanted to be baptized and the husband opposed it. And that was not the case with, with Brother Polk. He was very supportive of Sister Polk. But a couple of weeks after that, we had a wonderful church meeting. Some of you... Some of you that have been around a long time, you might remember this. You might have been here. And I tell you, it was a wonderful church service. The the singing was great. The fellowship was great. And all of a sudden, Sister Polk, almost 80 years old, came down the aisle. I'll I'll tell you how I envisioned it. It's almost like the candidate for the price is right, where it says, come on down. I mean, she said her feet never hit the ground. And she came all the way down to the front, and I'll never forget. She fell down in front, and she said, Lord, if these people will have me, I want to be a member of this church, and I want to follow in gospel baptism. Did you know that she looked up? And you know who was there with her? How many remember that? Brother Pope was right there with her. They were baptized together and they hit the ground running. And for the next five or six years until the Lord took them home, they diligently served the Lord. Now I'll tell you what, your baptism is personal between you and the Lord, but it also has an impact on other folks. It sure does. Cody, I'm so thankful that you're seeking baptism. You're setting a really great example for your family, for your children. Not only is it going to be a blessing to you, but it's going to be a blessing to your children. You know why I know that? Because you can go over into the New Testament and you can look at Cornelius. You can look at Lydia. You can look at the jailer. And it says that it had an impact. Now, the parents are generally the spiritual leaders of the house. But it said that it said that it had an impact upon their whole household. It had an impact upon those that they worked with. It had an impact upon their other children. Those that were around. It says that when they would go to preach the gospel, whether it was Philip or whether it was Paul or whether it was Peter, as they would go and preach the the gospel, that those that were stirred up would call together their kinsmen, that's their kinfolks, and their near friends. And it says that when they were baptized, not only did it have an impact upon that individual But it had an impact upon others that were around. Now, I'll just toss this personal experience in there. I'm so thankful for godly grandparents. So 
if you think maybe you, 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 maybe you, you missed the chance with your children, maybe God will bless you to, to, to try it again with your grandchildren. I'm so thankful for godly grandparents. My grandparents took me to church, and the earliest memories I have were going to church when I was three and four years old with my grandparents. And I'm thankful that my grandmother had sought baptism at an early age, and that was a great encouragement for me. I can look back as a child and remember what a blessing that that was. My granddad went to church. My granddad was not baptized until he was 76 years old. And the pastor called me and he said, you're not going to believe this, but your granddad came forward and he's going to be baptized. And I want to tell you uh, an extra blessing that I received out of that. I received a whole lot of blessings. But I'd been baptized probably 20 years before my granddad was. But I'll tell you one thing that was a tremendous blessing was witnessing my grandfather's baptism, but was also, and this was a blessing that I'll take to my grave with me. I had the blessing of being able to commune with my grandfather. Now we believe in John chapter 13 where it says that they also washed the saints' feet. I had the blessing of washing my grandfather's feet as well. Wouldn't take anything in the world for that blessing. Timothy. His dad didn't take him to church. His dad didn't teach him about the things of the Lord, but his mother did. And his grandmother did. Now, fathers, that doesn't take you off the hook. You've got a tremendous responsibility and tremendous role that's been given by God. But just in case there's any breaches there, Timothy was blessed to have a godly mother and a godly grandmother. And they had an impact upon his life. Your baptism is meant and designed for you. But I tell you what, it also has a ripple effect on other folks in a real positive way. It's a great blessing for others as well. In uh, Joshua chapter 24... This is to encourage mothers and fathers. This is to encourage you, Brother Cody. It's to encourage parents. It's to encourage grandparents. Joshua says in chapter 24, verse 15, it says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods that your fathers served which were uh, that our fathers served which were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the amorites is in whose land you dwell but Joshua said this and all fathers and all mothers ought to claim this right here you can't control what others are doing down the street or what your neighbors are doing or, or what your co-workers are doing. But you can claim this promise right here as a godly father, as a godly mother. You can make this claim right here and it will have an impact upon your family. Maybe you think it's not having an impact right now. But God doesn't always bless the harvest season right now. Sometimes the harvest season is down the road. God sees and God knows. And God is the one that blesses with the harvest season. 
I, I've, sadly, I've known, I, I've known more than, than I would like to tell you about, especially in Texas, in the church that I grew up in. There were faithful, old, godly sisters that were in their 70s and 80s and 90s. And oftentimes, their children didn't go to church. And, and so sad this is, they didn't go to church with them when that would have been the greatest joy that an old parent would have delighted in until they passed away. I can't tell you how many times after the parents died and the kids are in their 50s and 60s and 70s that you start seeing them at church. And then pretty soon they're baptized and then they're an active member in the church. And so many times I've thought to myself that would have brought such joy that dear old sister or that dear old brother to be able to fellowship in the house of the Lord. I'll tell you, I just want to just mention this to you right here because it might be a blessing that you don't realize. If you're in the house of the Lord and you have your family with you, that is an added blessing. That's a great blessing. It really is. And if that's the case, you thank the Lord for it. Don't you take it for granted. You thank the Lord for it. Give him the praise. Here's what he said. I can't affect a lot of other folks oftentimes. Can't affect the neighbors down the street. But I am responsible for those that are under my roof. Old brother F.I. Johnson was a deacon at the Lubbock Church. Had a bunch of kids, a bunch of grandkids. He said if they would come and visit us on the weekend, it was understood that if they were under my roof on the weekend, they were expected to be in the house of the Lord on Sunday. Amen. He said that was understood. And he said it wasn't up for a topic of discussion because when fake folks came to my house to visit, he said church was where we were going to be. Old brother Bass in Texas had 13 children. He and his wife set a wonderful example. Every single one of their children were baptized into the church. Not only that, but they had 54 grandchildren. Elder Mike Goins, Elder Hewlin Bass, Elder Clifford Goins, Elder Bernard Goins, so many of those. They're now in their 50s and 60s. Had 54 grandchildren. And every single one of their grandchildren were baptized into the church of Jesus Christ. I say, wow. What a blessing. So here's what we're encouraged in Joshua. I may not affect those in, down the street. I may not affect some folks at the workplace. But Joshua said, as for me and my house. That's those that God's given the responsibility for. As for me and my house. He said, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Baptism does not pay the price for our sins. It sets a great example for us. And it sets an example for our children and our grandchildren. And it's a great blessing in so many, many ways. And it does remind others 
that we realize that we're just sort of pilgrims and strangers here on this earth. But we're laboring together in the same direction. And we're looking forward to getting to heaven someday. And we're going to do it by the grace of Almighty God. And by the blood of Jesus Christ. Baptism, not the putting away the filth of the flesh. But it is the answer of a good conscience. I don't have to tell you what a conscience is. Every one of you, if you're a child of the king, you know what a conscience is. God doesn't speak to the outward man. God speaks to the heart. And God speaks to the conscience. Hebrews chapter 8 tells us that he writes his laws in our mind and in our hearts. And he will be to us a God. And we shall be his people. So the time to do it is when God speaks to you with the Holy Spirit and stirs your conscience. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you.